Welcome to OMP Clinical Care Insiders, an original podcast series produced by the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists. I'm Seth O'Brien, Clinical Manager and Artificial Limb Specialist and Chair of the Academy's Scientific Societies Committee. With me today is Duffy Felmley. Duffy's an MSVO, CPO, and Fellow of the Academy. He's an Associate Professor for the Prosthetics and Orthotics Program at the University of Hartford. Duffy also maintains a practice as a clinical and educational consultant for Hanger Clinic. Duffy's a member of the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists Board of Directors, a co-chair of the Academy's Fabrication Sciences Society, member of the Outcome Research Committee, Online Education Committee, and the OMPIQ Advisory Board. Duffy additionally participates in various international humanitarian efforts and adaptive sports volunteer activities. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our episode sponsor, Audubach. Duffy, welcome to the podcast. It's great to see you. Awesome, Seth. Thanks for having me, man. You bet. It's funny. We were talking yesterday, right? And uh, just getting prepped for the episode a little bit. We've been running into each other, working in with each other, you know, through the Academy for how long has it been now? I think we were trying to figure it out. Maybe like 2014, 15, somewhere in there. Yeah, I would agree. And we were going through all of this stuff and it still was like, I had no clue about so much stuff about you. So first of all, let me say congratulations, you know, new board member to the Academy. We, we work together in that regard on the board. And uh, when you started around Fabrication Science Society, when was that? Was that somewhere in that same time frame, 2014, 15, something like that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Thomas had reached out at one of our chapter meetings in New England. Um, had heard that part of my teaching curriculum was the material science course and asked if I would be uh, interested in in joining a society. And then uh, after, yes, expressing an interest, it was one of those, well, we have opportunities to take a more involved position by uh, co-chairing and then eventually chairing. So yeah, my initial uh, involvement with the Academy is always, or at least it, the initial bit, was uh, involved right off the bat with uh, Fab Sci. At the time, I think it was Fabrication Society. I know Sarah pretty well, so I'm gonna guess that you and I have another thing in common, which is that you were voluntold to do that from Sarah. It was a very solid recruitment pitch. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anybody who may not be familiar, tell us a little bit about Fabrication Sciences and, and what the society actually is. Yeah, so my understanding, the the initiation of that was a, a space where technicians and clinicians who were fabricators had a common meeting place, somewhere where they could get together, share like-minded ideas, advancements, and what they might be doing in their specific clinics or tech labs. So that was the, the impetus for that, just like the other societies be able to, yes, be members of the academy as a whole, but then have these subgroups to... Uh, to really dig into the details if you wanted to with potentially uh, just having that opportunity and for networking. When I was able to come on board, we had some discussion like the other thing of how do we get that message out there? And with some of my students, as well as when I talked to colleagues at other academic institutions, we were seeing an uptick in people coming from different backgrounds in their undergrads, primarily of a pretty big increase with engineering. And those students, some of them had interested in material sciences and other types of concepts. Yes, they joined O&P for the patient care element, but they wanted to stay involved with some of their fundamental and foundational interests. So we were able to pivot Fab Sci 
just a little bit into including now the Fabrication Sciences Society to allow now for a blending of individuals with a background in material sciences or mechanical or electrical engineering into what already existed related to fabrication techniques. So that's where we are now. We're uh, very fortunate to have also um, society chair right now, Lindy Mitsu, who is a colleague of mine who uh, is also has a background in engineering. So it's been a pretty cool and uh, interesting as we've started to pivot and shift a little bit within the society. Yeah, no, it's, it's been great. And, you know, also, I think one of the questions I get a lot is, you know, oh, that, that one's a technician only kind of a thing and, and not at all. I mean, especially if you, I find it so valuable, some of the stuff that you guys put out as a full-time clinician, but also, you know, where I work, we do hundred percent fab in-house and my hands are on that a lot, right? So it's, there's a lot of great information there. It's, it's a valuable resource for sure. Yes, we see a significant amount of overlap when we put out specifically uh, the Academy Today, where each society puts out their element. And uh, there's always some level of overlap between what, what would be maybe under an, a fabrication sciences umbrella, where that collaborative effort has been a really cool opportunity. I think a few academies today ago was CAD CAM and FabSide co-put one out together. So it's really neat to have that mm -hmm. uh, ability to assist our colleagues as well as be a critical element to the product, the device getting out there to our patients. You bet. Yeah. So tell me, let's back up just a little bit. Tell me a little bit about how, you know, you've got such a, an odd kind of mixture of things going on and what led you into OMP? We were talking and, and I was surprised. I don't know anything about your past. What did you start out as? Let me ask a different question. What did you, what was your undergrad originally? Where did you start going down the path of college career, you know, outlook? Oh, good. Yeah, I thought I thought we were going so far back where I was going to list I'm the progeny of Robin Leslie Felmway from Central PA. But <laughs> yeah, no, we'll pick it up at the undergrad base. So from Central Pennsylvania, and uh, so that's that's right in the middle, right next to Penn State University. So my undergrad degree is uh, pre med and nanotechnology, which was a direction I, I thought I might have been heading towards med school, and was very fortunate to have some access to do some things in there, but. When I did start doing job shadowing, which we all recommend people to do, if you're thinking about a career, go to the job and see if it matches with what you thought it was. Um, it wasn't quite there. And so with some of the opportunities that I had had, I was an analytical chemist for a little while and worked with bench science. So I really appreciated the control that you had in the lab environment sure. during my time there. I realized how much I missed people. Yes, I liked my colleagues, but I didn't really get to see the end use of that. So that still was a motivator for me to, yes, I know my career, I'd like to be working with people and hopefully the end user, the patient in our case. So uh, moving from bench science into feeling much more confident about the applied element of it. From there, I was shadowing in different healthcare facilities. Again, just checking out different jobs and Recreational therapy was a, a job for a while, which you were paid to make sure the quality of life was improved for people in skilled nursing facilities. That was awesome. Just didn't pay well. Uh, right. So they had recommended, well, why don't you go down the hall and check out the fake arms and legs guys? I was like, well, okay, this sounds like it went down and a half a day in. This was a really cool blend of being able to use the intellectual processing and problem solving, but also the psychomotor component of being able to physically adjust something very much in a practical space in front of me. From yeah, there, then moved on into applying to all the schools like everybody does, was accepted into the Newington program. And from there, I've been fortunate to stay up here. I'm up in Connecticut now, and I've stayed on board with O&P since. And it's been a 
It took a little while to figure out that career option, but super pumped that it worked out. As you discovered it, did, did your parents, <laughs> were, were they supportive of that move? I mean, was that something they were familiar with? Did they have any idea? What did they think? <laughs> yeah. My parents have been awesomely supportive through all of my career choices, whether it was in the cycling industry or when we did the chemistry part, uh, we worked on a bunch of cool little projects. And one of the projects we worked on was they, uh, I don't know, you know, on cookies where like you have a bag of Oreos and you open it from the top and you peel things out from there. We made the glue that goes on that. So they've seen me go through some ups and downs of like, that's really a job. And when they heard that I was going to go off into orthotics, their first jump was to FOs, foot orthoses. And they didn't know if that was actually a sustainable choice. Well, and at the they didn't know if that was the sustainable path. And at the time you were doing what? Oh, yeah. yeah. I was, uh, that was the cycling days, right? Oh, yeah. Cycling. Yeah. I mean, I was super fortunate with uh, being able to ride some bikes uh, around New England, did some racing on the downhill cycling. That again, on the adaptive sports side, that's really given me some access to a, a previous lifestyle and, and thing that was a lot of a big chunk of my life and being able to adapt that into to where we are now in a different platform. You bet. It's funny, you know, as we were chatting and I was learning about that, I never knew that you were a professional or, or semi-professional uh, cyclist at some point and that your parents were a little bit worried that your new found love of OMP wasn't going to be sustainable. You should do something safe like being a pro cyclist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely that word of pro, I think, spikes a little differently. Yes, income was made from that option, but I don't know what it would have looked like as a... Uh, Never was going to be those top tier guys, but yeah. Sure, sure. <laughs> All right, so you end up making the transition into OMP, and then some of the stuff that you've done is just incredible. So, you know, we mentioned in the bio a little bit about, you know, doing some international work, doing the research and things like that. I think, uh, were you involved in the in the scuba diving study that uh, I saw recently? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, just recently the, the Academy gave uh, myself and the team uh, an opportunity to share what we've been working on not only is it in the grand scheme of healthcare, but we ONP is our passion, right? That's why we're all here having this call and then the academy is there to give us the platform to do this type of stuff. And then drilling it down into even a more niche element is doing scuba diving research. Fortunately, <laughs> the, uh, the organization Combat Wounded Veteran Challenge out of Florida and my longtime friend and colleague, Michael McCulley, invited me to join Combat Wounded. And um, we've been able to take their flagship element, which is looking at subsurface ergonomics with use of scuba. So scuba diving in a pool and putting that together and setting up some baseline measures and hopefully being able to promote an activity where gravity has now been reduced, therefore allowing for even a few more degrees of freedom with those with limb loss or limb difference to be able to uh, participate potentially even more effectively than some of the uh, able body same uh, symmetry with kicking and all of that. So it's been a pretty cool opportunity to to work with that. Or yeah, what fun research, you know, a, a change of pace. Definitely. It's awesome. Remind me where where did I see that come out last? What was it published? Was it a was it a teaser or was it did it come in JPL? Yeah, was so it? we did um, the the webinar series that the Academy puts together. We did, a, we did a teaser, I think, was on one of the first Fellow Fridays. That was our little, hey, we're going to do this. Okay. And then the, the full hour-plus discussion with three presenters, Michael McCauley, myself, and Matt Parenti, covering a pretty big gamut of where that's going and where we hope to go in the future. That's right. Yeah, that's awesome. Everybody should check that out if they can. I, I 
think those should all be available on demand in the uh, in the online learning center, I believe. So maybe we can even put some some links kind of in the show notes there for people to find that because it's a fun one to check out. So then also we talked a little bit about, you know, your international efforts. And, you know, we were talking about the Academy Today issue that Fab Sciences did. And so that was in January 2022. And there were some really cool things on there that kind of related. You know, one of them was a handful of case studies about unique socket designs and adjustability of adjustable sockets, specifically using the BOA system. And then another one that I thought was really interesting, and, and you know, I, I would almost challenge everybody to go back and read this one again, because I think I got more out of it the second time I read it than the first time is the latency methods in OMP. And you were kind of filling me in. Tell me about sort of its application and, and really those international efforts that it can be even more appropriate for. Yeah, yeah, that's been something. I, I've, this is Dr. Wu out of Northwestern, I believe. This has been his project, and we've got to chat a couple times with putting together technical summits at the national meetings. And when we made a call for submissions for the Academy today, this project is really cool to see the evolution over the years of where it is now and being able to use the AT as a platform to showcase Dr. Wu and his team's work for where they've come with that. But yeah, the latency option, I mean, from what I understand, the initial intention for that was to be able to use it abroad where some of there were limitations to some of the traditional fabrication techniques. One of the big things mm -hmm. that we hear is that getting resin brought in, whether it's being delayed in shipping or sometimes the shipping is less than ideal conditions for it to be transported. An option like delatency allows for definitive socket fabrication, and that's awesome. And you can even move towards the direction of the sustainability of it, not using so many consumable resources in the fabrication process. Um, I believe the article additionally goes into how the method could be used as an intermediate step into duplicating sockets and a few other applications. So yeah, it's been right. Being in this spot of, of uh, co-chairing the fab side, you get to interact with people doing so many cool ideas and, uh, and getting to share that out and then hear the feedback like you had mentioned. Hey, I read this article. Do you know anything about it? And doing that networking element, which is also a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. So for anybody who's not familiar, you know, the, the, the latency process essentially, you know, uses small, you're going to explain this much better than I am, but uses something like sand or small pellets, right, that are put under vacuum and then retain their shape as opposed to using plaster to, you know, pour a socket, dupe a socket, whatever it might be. And placing those items under vacuum then maintains whatever shape they were in. And then that can be used as a transfer method or something similar. Did I, did I get that close? Yeah, yep, that's it. Yeah, you, you have some type of particulate matter inside of a sealed volume, hit it with some air so those little particles can float around a bit. Then once it forms to its shape, cut the air, turn it into a vacuum, and now it retains that definitive shape for application. And the strength of it is demonstrated throughout that article on some of the different projects that they've used it on. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Cool. So anybody wants to check that out, that's that's the January 2022 issue of the Academy Today that uh, Duffy and Lindy put out. We'd like to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Autobach. Grow into the cranial orthoses market with Microband. The innovative, customized, low-profile design makes the Microband a unique alternative to dated foam helmets. Each band is uniquely designed using an objective 3D model of a child's exact cranial structure and state-of-the-art 3D printing technology. With precise scanning and fitting procedures, 
your patient's band is perfectly configured with no time wasted for foam modifications. Be the best treatment provider with the smartest cranial remolding orthosis on the market. How about international work, some, some really cool stuff that you've been involved in over the years, right? Tell me a little bit about what you've had a chance to just briefly to, to kind of experience. I think there's a lot of, especially younger clinicians get, get really excited about this kind of stuff and you've got some awesome experience. Yeah, I mean, it's again, the, the networking element of O&P and the altruism that's involved in our profession. I, th I think that's really, and it's pretty exciting to see the generation of incoming clinicians where providing back to the community, whether they have their personal family stories or they, we see a lot of connections to, I want to work with veterans or Paralympians and also the international opportunity. We're here based in the United States, so we have some unique experiences to be able to help share what we've learned and been able to do and send that abroad. So for me personally, um, at the University of Hartford, we've been able to partner with a few international organizations. We've got Dreaming and Working Together based out of Connecticut that goes to Lima, Peru, uh, the Limkind Foundation out of New York that they go to various locations, and Project Namaste with Nepal. So specifically with some of those, and one of the big things when we're partnering with these organizations is that they have one of their primary motivations is to train the in-country professionals as well. It's not like we show up, provide patient care, and then walk away. It's to make sure that there's a sustainable model there on, on various aspects. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how, how has that been going? What's the success so far? Yeah, but dreaming and working together, I think it's one of the, the cool things. I've joined, the, the team's been around for 10 plus years. I've only recently come on board in the last four or five, but it's been really neat to see an organization like this that was founded by a Peruvian gentleman who worked in the Hartford region. He was able to put together a partnership with the Hartford Hospital. And that team now, even going through the challenge, which was international during COVID, has gotten to this point where they've been able to almost reshape where their mission and focus is to where a team, stateside-based team, multidisciplinary surgeon, therapists, O&P professionals, going down to where this hospital has become one of the national centers for prosthetic training, where people from other more geographically close countries now come to train in, on site. And that is a humbling wow. and awesome project to be a part of. And uh, yeah. That's just, that's cool stuff. That's incredible. So you know, we're getting close to the end here, but I know a couple of things that are on your radar. We, we just got done with Hangar Live, and I'm sure that was a, a ton of fun to do. What did you do at Hangar Live this month? Yeah, so that was um, uh, a Chris Robinson project that I was fortunate enough to get involved with as well. It's a really cool collaborative opportunity where Hangar Live extends the option for the Academy to, to provide some extra content. And uh, this year we went with the digital workflow. And yes, we've got lots of options out there of CAD CAM, which is the digital design and machining. But we also took a little bit of a unique spin on how other digital opportunities could be there to hopefully improve the quality of life and just the, the improved sanity for clinicians in the busy workplace. And those opportunities, just sharing what exists. Oh, I didn't hear about that. And then hopefully generating especially the end survey panel where all the presenters were up there at the same time and had some dialogue about pros and cons or ways to do some innovative application. So yeah, that's the, that's the cool opportunities that were provided there. 
Yeah, you bet. What, what do you, you know, Duffy's opinion, what do you think is going to be the mix of that digital workflow over the next 10 years or so? It, you know, I, if, if I had to just guess at the moment, I'd say there's pockets that are really adopting it, but by and large, it's probably a 5%, 10% kind of a thing in our field. Where, where do you think it would go in the next 10 years or so as a percentage of utilization just over the workflow of an OMP clinician? Yeah, it, on the percentage, I mean, in 10, I would hope we're at least to, to the 40s or 50% utilization because there's absolutely things where when we're dealing with our patients, in a perfect world, we would be face to face. But over the past few years, we've seen the adoption of being able to use telehealth, communicating through there. And if that physical barrier was one of the challenges for why our patient couldn't come into the office, although that would be our ideal situation, still being able to have that time, which hopefully you save some time by being able to use a different application for your EMR documentation or your physical space has become a little more automated with, you know that camera's always there so you can do a gate analysis is just part of your workflow. But then we can take sure. some of that interpersonal time and spend a second on Zoom to put some face-to-face -face and see some of those nonverbal things that a phone call may not have captured and uh, be able to, to provide an increased service of care for our patients. So I'd hope it would be able to go. Yeah, you bet. And I mean, even, you know, starting to think about ways to remove the plaster process to some degree or, or ways to, you know, even even something as simple as as digitizing and storing molds. So you can always get back to that same, you know, starting point if you need to. So many applications. I'm excited to see what starts to really ramp up, you know, widespread um, another big thing right around the corner, you know, we're uh, like a matter of weeks away from, uh, the Academy's annual meeting, which I'm super excited to uh, go down to Nashville and spend a little bit of time. What do you got coming up at the Academy's meeting this year? I think you got technical program, right? Is this the first time we're doing a full on technical program? Yeah, we've got the multi-day technician program coming up, bunch of variety of speakers. So it's going to be a pretty neat opportunity We're we're super fortunate to have our faithful lecturers who are able to provide some very concrete and well-responded to content. But as I think everyone coming off this kind of two-year lull of the meetings and looking forward to get back to in-person and all that's involved with that, we've been able to have some additionally new speakers come in and we're, we're looking forward to hear our attendees' responses to the new content by filling out those end of course surveys and all that type of stuff to see if FabSci has the pulse on where the industry's technicians and technically minded clinicians, what they want to hear about. So this is another opportunity for us to kind of see if we got it right. We feel pretty confident. We've pulled a lot of people on, on what are your interests? And then we have experts within our discipline who are willing to give us some of their time to come speak in person. So yeah, the technician two day series is going to be pretty good. Yeah, can't wait to see it. You know, some of my favorite parts of the meetings are always kind of getting together and catching colleagues and mentors and different people like that. What are, what are your favorite parts of, of getting together in, at the Academy's meeting? For me personally, it is the networking opportunities as well as being able to see alumni from, from our P&O program up here in Connecticut uh, and then being able to reconnect with mentors and peers. The presentation content is great. We know that the big motivator is those CEUs to keep that right. game. But um, yeah. just some of even like the the social hours that are there, that yes, there's kind of an organized theme. I've I've just appeared the JPO receptions and a few other things. It's just, it's a really neat thing to 
to see where our industry's community, one element of them, is they all under one roof. And this is the opportunity to bring a bunch of business cards and hopefully have those exchanges where you can start a relationship and then keep that going until the next academy meeting. You bet. How did the mentors play a role in your path to OMP and, and your continued career, you know, success? Yeah. There, there is no way I'd be having this chat with you without mentors. People that have decided to be patient with me in my clinical practice, as well as my classroom environment. Yeah, the, the mentoring process is what I hope that if I'm able to help contribute back to the next generation from there, that's super valuable. I mean, I had a, a mentor, um, Jim Fezio, it's just, he, he's about inspiring to a bunch of clinicians that have come up through there, but seeing the diligence that they would approach work, right? I mean, they've, they've been doing this for 15, 20 years. This is probably their 3000 solid ankle AFO. And they would still take that time and attention to detail because they knew which patient this was going to go on. And if they do their job well as an orthotist, this is going to improve the quality of life for many other people, not just the patient, but the family, the school caregivers. And seeing that demonstrated in front of me early in my stages in the academics and residency and my junior level as a clinician, those are the types of things that uh, that are going to stick with me. And then I applaud everyone who has taken the roles of being a preceptor for residency or done high school shadowing and allowing high schoolers to come check out what this profession is. It's, it's one of those key things that um, makes our discipline fairly unique in, in my view sure. of the mentoring and, and how those can be a sustained relationship throughout your career process. You get those really influential mentors and sometimes they're so passionate and so excited that they just keep going and going. How, did you guys have any ways of attacking or dealing with, you know, the mentors that uh, would just get on a roll and not be able to transition to the next thing very well? Oh, yeah. I know that I find that being myself, right? So yeah. when I have when I have residents, it's like I just want to unload so much info that they're just like, all right, Seth, shut up. Seriously. Yeah. 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 We've got the gentleman that I had just mentioned. One of our techniques that we had learned as residents was like, hey, the chatty individual, but we've got work to get done and they'll be working up until 9 p.m. if they needed to. So one of our techniques was to uh, go in the back, try to find one of the most complicated molds that we knew that was well outside of my skill set to pull off. Uh, right. We'd walk back up and say, hey, Jim, I'm going to go work on patient A right now. And that would be one of those. Hey, Duff, hold on a minute, man. I'm coming back to work on that with you. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, those were the, some, some motivational techniques that residents shared year after year to be able to help keep our bosses on track. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look forward to finding the, the stories of uh, some of your students in five and 10 years about how they dealt with Duffy. All right. Well, awesome. Duffy, it's been great catching up with you and learning a bunch more about you than I knew before. You, you are certainly one cool cat. Thanks for spending a little bit of time with us and, and we will see you in Nashville for sure. Excellent. Thanks for the chance to chat. You bet. Thanks to Duffy and thanks to everyone else for listening to another episode of the OMP Clinical Care Insiders. Join us each month as we continue our conversation with key voices in the OMP community discussing their areas of clinical care and sharing personal experiences as professionals in that specialty. We would like to extend a special thank you to our episode sponsor, Autobach. For more information, visit their website at shop.autobach.us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcasts for OMP professionals, the award-winning OMP Research Insights with Dr. Steve Gard, 
and OMP Rising, a podcast created for emerging professionals in our field. For more information on the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists, visit us online at onp.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.